You're listening to What It's Like with Luce, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and on this week's episode, I sit down with founder of Headstuff.org and the podcast studios. Starting out as a budding writer and having dabbled in the world of comedy, this guest created Ireland's largest podcast network, rolling out 30 shows with millions of downloads. What began as a passion project quickly spiraled into an award-winning cultural outlet that continues to grow in popularity. From his very own City Centre studios, I found out what it's like to be Alan Bennett. So welcome, Alan. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, Thanks for having me. (laughs) I think before we speak about Headstuff or the podcast studios, I want to go back a little bit further and ask you how you got into the media industry in the first place. Um, I went a uh, very much the long way around. Uh, I did a lot of different things before I the way I see it is I, I did a lot of different things before I kind of put them all together, which became what Headstuff is. Um, so in I did co- in college, I did fine art, studied painting, which I haven't done since. Oh. Um, <laughs> and while I was in college, I started doing stand up comedy. And um, after when I was finished college, then I was uh, in the students union. And then when I was finished that, I did a little bit of traveling in Europe. And then I did a master's in creative writing. Um, and it was after that master's that I set up the website. Um, but I think there was certain experiences I got from each of those different things that sort of helped to build up a sort of, um, what would you call it, somewhat multifaceted cultural uh, website and podcast network and eventually it's studios and all the different things. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and did you always, like as a kid, were you always creative and kind of interested why you chose to do a master's in creative writing? Yeah, I suppose I was, yeah, I would have been creative. Um, uh, it's kind of hard to pin down. I, I suppose I I got into little phases and tried lots of different things. I was always, I'd get very interested in something and then, you know, be all about it for a little while and then maybe move on to something else and be all about that. Uh, it's interesting, actually, I just read a book called Range by um, David Epstein, and he kind of, the, the whole thesis of the book is that, um, y- you know, the the sort of uh, the 10,000 hours rule, I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. you know, to get really good, to get to the top of your game or something, you need to put like 10,000 hours or something and just focus on one thing, be laser focused and spend all your time doing that and thinking about that and getting as good as possible. Um, well, the thesis of this book is that that's actually only very in, in very rare uh, circumstances is that true and in reality um, having what he calls range which is doing lots of different things and getting experience from lots of different kind of areas and places like completely different I suppose um, like walks of life or, or disciplines or anything like that actually helps you solve problems easier and come up with ideas that people who are just laser focused on one thing can't come up with because they have no nothing else to bring into it um and so i obviously wasn't doing any of this on purpose but um, <laughs> i read the book and it's like oh okay this this all makes sense um and so yeah uh, my childhood i was always i suppose doing different things interested in different things i would make things or draw or write um i found i always found writing somewhat i don't want to say easy but it kind of came to me more naturally than 
I suppose like learning stuff like doing maths or anything like that or in in the sciences I'm, I'm very interested in science but learning formulas and things like that didn't really suit me um it took me kind of a while to realize that I never really had very good English teachers but um so I never focused on it or anything but it was after you know I, I wrote one good essay in school that I kind of remember and then I went and did fine art and then I started writing in, in college and it was kind of after that and after doing comedy that I realized that the part of everything that I was doing that I liked doing the most was the writing so then I decided I'll do the creative writing masters and how was comedy for you I think that's so interesting to have had a little bit of a career in stand-up comedy <laughs> uh it is I suppose um I when did I start doing comedy probably 2005 um and it's a little bit different now because there's so many comedians there's like tons of them and there's tons of comedy clubs and you know there's I suppose there's the stand-up comedians and then there's tons of other comedians who are doing you know just YouTube videos or Facebook or things yeah. things like that and they're all comedians um but I suppose when I started doing it you know YouTube wasn't you know Facebook was only a year old it was only still in America I don't think we had it here um YouTube I think started somewhere around then as well but obviously it wasn't very popular yet um so and and there wasn't as many people doing comedy there was like a select few I suppose not to say that I was like ahead of a curve or an elite or anything like that it's just that it wasn't as as big a thing and there was very few comedy clubs so it was actually hard to get gigs because there was there was obviously a few comedians but not that many clubs um but I we I made a I made a pact with a, f a friend of mine who's one of my best friends and was we were in college together um it was <laughs> it was actually him that told me I should do comedy he I, I had a book that I used to write jokes in or or I was just writing stuff I suppose I was just writing things down I thought about and I let him read it and he was like you're writing jokes here you should, <laughs> you should tell these jokes on stage and I had I actually had never thought about it um but he was interested in animation and he had kind of an idea and said to make his own animated you know short film so we made a pact that uh we were in college and over that summer I would do stand-up comedy and he would make his animated film um, so I held up my end of the deal and made, did a comedy gig and he never made that film. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> so I hold that against him forever. Um, so I, I did that comedy gig and it went well. There's a comedy club uh, in the Haypenny Bridge Inn. I'm not sure if you know it. Um, it's a few nights a week now, but um, there's one it used to be on a Tuesday. I'm not sure if it still is called um, Battle of the Axe. Okay. And it was for it was like an open mic night kind of a thing, but you had to you had to book in. You weren't you couldn't just stand up when you know it was a slot. You had to you you wouldn't get a slot for a month or two, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a sort of competition. So most most Irish comedians kind of their first gig was in this place, Battle of the X. Um, and so mine as well was there. I did my first gig there, and I won the the prize, which they called the Lucky Duck Prize. Um. So that obviously gave me a sort of a taste and then I, I kept doing it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting world and I had a great fun and um, it went pretty well. And I won kind of some competitions and did some tours around Ireland and and that kind of thing. But it, my heart was never really in it, I suppose. It was at the very start, but I didn't, um, I, I wasn't mad about being in like lots of different pubs every night and, you know, in clubs and all this kind of traveling or um I suppose the lifestyle just didn't suit me um and I, I wanted to focus on writing so I stopped 
I stopped doing the actual performing side of things. And so once you stopped comedy, did you go straight to set up head stuff or did you do something else after that? Uh, no, after I stopped comedy, I actually stopped comedy twice. I kind of came back and did another tour um, with Maeve Higgins and then I stopped. And then I started uh, the Masters in Creative Writing and as part of um, the Masters, you would do a thesis. Um, and when, you're, when it's creative writing, when you can do a few different things, um, and what I chose to do was three chapters of a novel okay. um, as my thesis. Um, and so when college was finished, I finished writing that novel and um, then I sent that away to, you know, various agents and publishers and that kind of thing. And it can take a few months to hear back from them. Um, you know, if they're interested or anything like that. So it was during that time that I set up the website. It was kind of almost a personal sort of a blog. Um, the idea was that I would place any bits of writing that I wasn't using in the book. You know, you've heard the expression like that you're only really using the tip of the iceberg, but the bottom half of the, the bottom 90% of the iceberg is all the research you did and all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking I might use some of that stuff and just put it on this website. So the topics you see on the website are just things I was interested in. That was like the whole, the, the range, you know, that of things I was I liked, like literature and history and science and film and music and comedy and humor. Um, but then actually before I launched the website, I started asking friends because I had a lot of very creative friends from being in, you know, creative writing and art college and comedy. Um, if they would like to put anything up on the site as well or if they had any um, uh, stories or, or articles or even artwork and music and that kind of stuff, I used to put everything up. I actually put up a few of my friends' uh, theses and things like that and oh. as, as articles um, right at the very start. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of people kind of interested and then I started getting submissions from other people and it just kind of took off in a way that I wasn't really expecting. I suppose there was something like a gap in the market for that kind of a thing. And um, it started taking more and more of my time. And then I um, I, I, I actually got some interest in the novel, but I, I never got back to doing the kind of the next level of edits. So that's sort of my my plan at some point is to uh, get Headstuff to a position where I don't have to focus on, as, on it as much and then I can start writing, mm-hmm. writing again. And when you set up the website, was there kind of a business plan in the back of your head behind it or was it purely just a space for you to be creative? At the very start, it was just a space to be creative. I never thought of it as a business or anything. Um, it took a while for that. Um, at first, it was a place for me to be creative and then it was a place to showcase, like fairly quick, like actually before it even launched, it was a place to showcase other people's work as well as my own. Um, and then f- pretty quickly, I realized that there actually wasn't somewhere you could put this type of writing like if um if you're just interested in writing about history because you're interested in history not because not because it's linking to something happening now like you might get in you know a newspaper or on some of the other websites um or you wanted to write about you know science or you just wanted to write a humorous article about something there's not that many options um for for writers especially writers that are sort of starting out or just trying to you know cutting their teeth or anything like that so then the website became kind of about that just trying to uh be a platform for all sorts of creative people and give them a platform give them a voice you know Mm -hmm. um and i guess with everything you know 
everyone's dream is to turn their passion into their career but then obviously there's that big thing of money that sits (laughs) in the background yeah so how did you begin to monetize the side to make it something you could spend all of your days doing um it took a very very long time um so yeah it was a very very long process uh i I think the the number one thing is um being able to live very frugally for a while for me anyway and for for this business um i never had any investment or anything like that i never had like um you know there was never any big bank loans or anything it was just um my own sort of sweat and blood and you know uh, a lot of help from from friends and and acquaintances people i've kind of got to know through doing head stuff um they a lot of people kind of put in a lot of work um, and helped me out in, in lots of great ways um, but there was never really an influx of money into into it um, so for a few years for probably like four years or five years I had to just work as hard as I could and make like no money um, which most people won't do um, I'm lucky in that I don't have a lot of outgoings I don't spend a lot of money I'm, I'm happy to live just on on the kind of bare minimum um so i could survive on the dole for a while and then as money started trickling in i could get off the dole and and um just survive on what was kind of coming in um how did i actually go about monetizing the site the site still isn't all that monetized really like there's ads on the site now which i i was kind of reluctant to do for a while because i don't really like the way uh, website advertising works that the, it's such a small amount of money it's like you know you get a couple of euro per thousand visits uh, that I think it kind of undervalues websites and undervalues digital content and and how much you know value people actually get from reading kind of well written articles we're not, we were never doing sort of clickbait stuff we were never putting up pictures of cats or videos of you know whatever people falling down um, we were always kind of putting up considered work so I always thought that the, the advertising model was sort of very much undervaluing the work so I was trying to get sponsors and trying to get people to um, sort of invest in or, or, or um, put money give money to the site so that we could promote their brands in a more sort of wholesome way that was sort of the plan uh, that plan didn't really work out as not for lack of trying it was just it was hard to get people to do that when they could look at our websites and pay it on the CPM model which is a few euro per thousand visits uh, it, just, it was a pure numbers game so eventually I kind of put ads on the site I, I found a, a, a third party that made it a little bit more reasonable um, and the site you know washes its own face now and pays a couple of expenses but it's not where the sort of it's not what pays the the wages of of our the, the staff here um that all came with podcasts so mm-hmm. it was probably a year into the website when i started doing the headstuff podcast um which was my own podcast just kind of about like it was very much linked to the website so the types of people that we might be writing about or might even be writing on the website we would talk to them anyone that i thought was kind of interesting or creative or had something in particular to say or was doing something that people might enjoy i would just kind of chat to them um and yeah it was soon after that that i found i really enjoyed making podcasts and listening to podcasts and that kind of thing that we decided to start a network and 
that's when we got closer to, I suppose, where we are now. So we make most of our money from making podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then can you just talk to me a little bit more about that network and kind of Mm -hmm. how you grew it? Because I think it's really interesting that at the time, that was in maybe 2014, kind of like around then that you founded the site, was it? Yeah, I think it was February 14. Yeah, 2014. Because I think podcasts, well, just from the, you know, the outside looking in, if you didn't know anything about the industry, it looks like podcasts only kind of exploded in the last two years, maybe. Yeah. But um, you were obviously doing it before that. So oh, yeah, we're so cool. You, we are yeah. way ahead of everyone. <laughs> you are, you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think, um, I suppose there was kind of a few podcast explosions, which is why it can kind of seem like you're ahead of the curve when you're not really, uh, I don't think of, I don't think of us as particularly ahead of the curve. And we, I think we got in early, that, that's true. But, um, I think the first, uh, the first, um, podcast explosion was long, long ago. And I think, uh, there was the Ricky Gervais show I can't remember what it was called but they were making a podcast it was Ricky Gervais and, and Stephen Merchant and they had Carol Pilkington on and he was I think like supposed to be the producer or something but the whole podcast was basically laughing at him um, Did you ever see that program An Idiot Abroad? Yeah with him so he kind of became famous after all of this but this was from the podcast I think Oh was this before? Yeah okay. it was before that um, and they animated it then so they would have the, the voice recordings and then they would put kind of nice animations over the top of it um, but there was a lot of people listening to that but um, I can't even remember when that was it was it was before like iPhones and things anyway so people would have had to listen to it on iPods a lot of people listened to that podcast but then it sort of died down again and the next podcast kind of explosion came with the iPhone I suppose because now you could just have a podcast app and download podcasts directly onto your phone or even stream them you didn't even have to download them so that made it vastly easier um, and so podcasts kind of were steadily gaining and there was a few popular things like This American Life um, so I don't know if that was an, an explosion but like a kind of uh, a, a steady rise and then Serial happened which everybody listened to and that was like that was a real explosion because that was something that people talked about like have you heard Serial uh, in a way that was outside of the podcast world so if there was a podcast that you and I liked we would talk about it but we're two people who already listen to podcasts mm-hmm. uh, Serial was something where I could go to you know my sister who never listened to a podcast and said have you heard Serial and she'd say no what is that it's a podcast oh okay how did I get a podcast and then she would listen to it and loved it and talk to other people about it and show them how to download a podcast um, so that was that was the real explosion that was the kind of start of I suppose where we are now Um I don't know when that came out, probably 2015 or 16, something like that. Yeah, I don't know the date, I think. But, um, and it's been, a, it's been a steady rise. It's just because people are making such good stuff, it's better than most other media at the moment. And um, there's so many people who are making them and putting out really good things. So there's something, no matter what you're interested in, you'll find a podcast on it. And there's such high production things like Serial and S-Town came fairly soon after that and there's like Radiotopia and all the Gimlet podcasts and um, all over the place people are just putting a lot into making brilliant podcasts mm-hmm. yeah. and how does your network work so do you kind of I don't know do you come up with the um, themes for shows and then get people to come and do them or do you see things that you like and then approach them and kind of ask if they want to be part of the network or how does that um, come about? yeah 
all of those ways. <laughs> it happens in a few ways. So sometimes we come up with an idea, we think we should have a podcast about something and then we think about how it might work and we approach somebody who we think would be a good host and see if they'd like to do it. Um, so that's one way. Uh, another way is somebody might have an idea for a podcast and they would come to us with the idea and say, this is how we see it going. This is like the first few episodes of ideas and how they're going to host it and all of that. Uh, and if we like the idea and we think that that person should have a show and they've got something to say, then um, we'll help them make that. Um, there are shows that are already being made and then they ask to join the network or shows that are already being made and we approach them and see if they'd like to join the network. Um, I think that covers all the bases pretty much. So yeah, that's all, all sorts of ways. There's no kind of just no one single hard and fast rule you know mm -hmm. and then so obviously we are sitting in one of your gorgeous studios in the podcast <laughs> yeah. studios um how did this happen how did head stuff go to owning your own studio um so we we were making the we had the podcast network and we were adding more and more shows to it and then we started making podcasts for people that weren't on the network um well, first we started renting. We had our own studio for upstairs in the same building, actually upstairs, um, for just making our own podcast network shows. Um, it was at first it was just my office and there was a microphone in it, and then um, it became mostly a studio and I had a desk in the corner. And then we were making more and more shows, so I just moved out of that room altogether. And I was like, that was the studio, and I had an office next door. And then we started renting out the studio to people who. Um, weren't on our network we just wanted to use the space and then we started editing their podcasts and so that was that was really the business then it was like making podcasts for companies and brands and whoever um and we were doing more and more of that and then i suppose i just saw the opportunity to increase all of that it wasn't that you know demand was so high that we had to do it it was more a um I suppose a field of dreams sort of a thing. I, I don't know if you get the reference. It was uh, you build it and they will come. Um, so um, I saw that this space became available and it was already a purpose-built studio and we just turned it into, as opposed to a music studio, we turned it into podcast studios and um, hoped that it would be so good and so nice and people would like coming here and making their podcasts that uh, it would all work out, I suppose. Um, and yeah, it was working out and is working out but uh, we have to we're in a very strange time now I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go out but if it's any time in the next few months I'm sure um, people will know what I'm talking about the you know COVID-19 yeah um, it's it's a bit it's a little bit strange at the moment because obviously people are staying at home and trying not to go to places like studios and restaurants and bars and things like that so um, yeah but mostly people enjoy the studios and um are happy to record their podcast here if if they've got a budget for that, you know. Um, and we've set up things like memberships and and different things, different packages to uh, help people if if they're you know making an independent independent podcast and they've no money behind it, it makes it a little bit easier for them to actually make their podcast here. Um, because I suppose one of our key ideas or values from the very start was. Uh, to make it easier for people to make high quality podcasts um, I suppose th there's always been the thing that anybody can make it if you have an iPhone you can put it on the table and just record two voices and it's a podcast as long as you put it out um, but it's not so easy to make kind of high quality like you know to yeah. much better sound quality and 
a consistency and have like support of people who kind of know what they're doing and technical skills and all that behind behind the whole thing and and that's still one of the things we still want to help people make really high quality podcasts and not everybody can afford the sort of top rates so we're still um, people can still get in touch and if they can't afford our normal prices we'll do our best to help you know so mm-hmm. um, yeah and then I guess just from your perspective going from being such a creative person and working in the industry kind of as a personality in the creative world what was the challenges that you faced kind of when you were moving more into the business side of things and you kind Mm -hmm. of you know had to think a bit more practically and compromise maybe on a few things to make it work as a business what did you struggle with the most in that transition um i'm still struggling with a lot of it i'm not um i'm i'm kind of a strange fish in that (laughs) i uh i'm okay creative person but i've always found myself starting business-like ventures somehow i don't really know why that happens um but i even when i was younger i i would i was i was always interested in in uh in office <laughs> offices for some reason <laughs> um my uh my partner ashling always um her, one of her favorite stories from my childhood is i got a desk for christmas because i wanted to like play office okay. and i used to set it up like upstairs at the top of the landing and like i wouldn't let my sisters pass unless they you know, did something officey. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, and then in college we started a comedy club. Me and Mikey, that same friend uh, from earlier, um, and that I got a lot of experience actually because I emceed or hosted that comedy club. It was actually it was actually a really good comedy club. It was one of the best comedy clubs in Ireland at the time. We used to bring comedians over from uh, the UK and and various other places. Um, I was going to say Canada we had a lot of Canadian comedians but I think they were all probably based in the UK um, but uh, that was like a, that was a little business now um, we ran it it was like every two weeks we we charged money in we paid the comedians it was it was all kind of done properly um, but I was good at setting those kinds of things up and making sure crowds came to them and you know it, it all balanced you know that we could pay all the comedians that performed and um we didn't make much, we didn't make any profit really. Any sort of extra money we made off it, we kind of put back into, you know, making the branding nicer or we we did a lot kind of for the audience. It was it was never supposed to be a money making venture necessarily. We we would do things like have like milk and cookies at the break, so we'd always go and buy liters of milk and lots of packets of cookies and um we'd do other things like that to make it a really nice experience when you when you came to the, the shows. Um but, you know, looking back on it it was a little business um and then in the students union i was the president of the students union so that was run like a business you know we had a budget and we had to make sure we had enough money to last us the whole year for all the events we wanted to do and anything we needed to put out to all the students and all that kind of stuff um but i always made sure that when when we were doing something like say rag week or freshers week or something like that that everything made a profit like it wasn't it was to be run properly. It wasn't like, oh, we're all students here, you know, like let's just throw on something and people will have fun because they're drinking. We we always tried to do things really properly. Um, now, again, it wasn't a money-making venture. Any profits we made went to charity, but we w- really wanted it to be run properly. Um, so again, what I was saying earlier, so all these different things I did kind of gave me experience on how to r- run things. And um, that 
that gave me experience one in managing a budget and and running it like a business but also in managing people so a lot of creative people in an art college I'm sure you can imagine creative people aren't always the easiest people to manage yeah but um, <laughs> as I'm sure you know um but uh, I suppose I learned a lot about it doing that and and since um so that led to head stuff so again I've set up a, a business like thing at the start I didn't mean it to be and you know, I didn't make probably the right choices right at the start to make it a sort of a well-functioning business. Um, but over time, I realized what I kind of had to do and we changed some things and and now it's run as a very, you know, proper above board business. Um, but I'm not good at doing all that stuff myself. So I don't I don't pretend I am and I don't. That would be very stressful and, and a lot of pressure for me to to be very good at everything like running accounts and making sure we had all the right you know whatever licenses or we were compliant in every way or we were paying we were paying to the taxes and um you know all the insurance and all that kind of stuff i'm not good at all that stuff so i have people who help me you know i have we kind of outsource accounting and hr stuff and um i suppose that's one of the one of the key things i've learned over time is nobody's good at everything so um get people who help to help you who know this stuff so for the first few years I had a friend of mine um, help me with the accounting stuff she's an accountant and she was really good at that and I had other friends who were good at website stuff so coding or the back end things I'm not I'm not a web developer I don't know how to do that stuff really but I've learned some stuff over over the years obviously but I, I, I never um, I suppose when I come to think of it in any part of what head stuff is I'm not the best person to do any of it it's just about having the right person there you know, and knowing who the right person to call is, mm-hmm. um, and my skill set is uh, obviously making making podcasts. I I do a hell of a lot of editing of podcasts, but is trying to kind of keep the whole thing together and make sure there's the right people in place for any sort of I don't know challenge we might have, or um, knowing how to get a team to work on a project or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and as we were discussing before. Um, we were kind of saying how it seems like everyone has a podcast these days. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of it's great, social media. It? Yeah, <laughs> makes it so easy. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's because of social media that everyone kind of thinks, oh, the next thing I need to do if I want to be an influencer or something like that is to have <laughs> yeah. a podcast. But do you think that kind of a mentality of jumping on the bandwagon with something will cause podcasts to have a shelf life? Or do you think they'll always be there? Um, I think both of those things could be true. I think those podcasts, the ones where people are jumping on the bandwagon um, or doing it to be an influencer or or even getting into it to make money, I think a lot of those are going to have a shelf life um, because those people aren't really passionate about doing it and they are doing it to get numbers or to whatever it might be, to sell a product or something. Um, but if they don't love the podcast and they don't do it for, I suppose, the right reasons, they'll eventually get bored of it. Or if they see that, you know, their their numbers are growing for the first while and then they start to plateau or go down, they will probably give it up. Um, whereas the people who love it and are passionate about it don't really care that much about the numbers. Obviously, they want to see them go up. Everybody wants to, to know there's more people listening, but they're, they're doing it for the love of the podcast. They're doing it because they, they talk to people that they find inspiring or interesting or they're talking to their friends and it's it's a good time to hang out with them. Um and if people like listening to that, then that's just a bonus as far as they see it. Um, overall, I don't think podcasts are going anywhere. I think they're getting better and better. I think 
as I said, the cream is rising to the top and um, even all of the thousands and thousands of really, really bad podcasts out there, people are listening to them. That's fine. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect what podcasts are at the top. Um, and more and more people will find and share the really good ones. Um, and as far as I can see, podcast continues to be doing a better job than radio is on all things audio. And it's becoming more and more accessible more and more people are knowing what they are more and more money is coming into it so that means the big the big companies are going to keep making podcasts and there's going to be more um i suppose companies like the gimlets or the spotify's or even apple Podcasts, things like that that are putting more money into podcasts because like why wouldn't they at this stage it's just getting bigger and bigger um so yeah i can't see it going anywhere but definitely a lot of a lot of podcasts will stop creating content, but as a genre, I don't think podcasts are going anywhere. And apart from the obvious influence that COVID-19 will have at the moment <laughs> yeah. on business here, um, what does the future hold for Headstuff and um, the podcast studios? Um, well, hopefully everybody gets through this COVID-19 thing. Um, in fairness, I think the government are doing a really good job at the moment. Um, it's quite nice to be proud of the government <laughs> you know kind of for a change um but i think they're doing a really good job it's it's you know <laughs> normally you know we can poke fun at all the other governments and be like oh look what how they're handling this thing but this is quite an interesting time because every government is dealing with the same thing so we can put our leaders kind of in stark contrast on the same issue with each other and uh, not to get political <laughs> or anything but I think Leo's like when you stand here, like the speech he did the other night, when you stand that beside what Boris Johnson's doing and what Donald Trump is doing, it's like worlds apart. And it's, it, I, I thought it was quite nice. I was quite proud. Um, and the, the, you know, the Minister for Business and uh, people like that are, you know, sending emails to businesses and there's a lot of support. And um, if you have to, you know, lay off staff or reduce hours, there's supports there for, for the business and for the staff. Um, there's lots of, um, there's there's lots of benefits like um, VAT payments don't have to be you know put in on time and there's there's loans to be you know there's increase in loans and longer uh, you know um, gaps between repayments and reduction of interest and all this kind of stuff which is really helpful and will probably help a lot of businesses get through this um, so and we're obviously doing as much as we can to be flexible and adaptable and, and do what we can to uh keep getting new business in and reducing costs during this time and that kind of that kind of thing um but yeah i think i think most will will get through this and you know as long as people kind of work together and at the moment self isolate you know flatten the curve and all of that um in in future um we've got lots and lots of ideas uh for what we what we hope to see happen um We've, we've always had lots of ideas, so I suppose it's funny because I, I come up with tons of ideas all the time and, you know, most of them will never happen or they will happen and they fail completely. Um, and every now and again, one of them works really well, like, say, the podcast network or opening the studios or something like that. But for any of those different things, there's lots of stuff that just didn't happen or just didn't work out. Um, so I want to keep working that way. I want to keep coming up with ideas, keep doing things we're interested in. Um you know, down the line, if we can open more studios, if we can make more and more podcasts, if we can make podcasts like um, 
I suppose stuff that the Americans are sort of making the kind of the, the big narrative based or investigative sort of things um, I with, love those they're so good <laughs> yeah, I, there's so many like you know if we could make something like uh, like Radio Lab or something you know just like obviously the budgets aren't here yet but we're hoping that they will and we're, we're doing what we can to sort of convince people to to put a big budget into making a podcast but that's that's sort of the next step and um, hopefully we can do something like that soon um, and yeah just keep just keep trying to be as good a little business as we can you know so I would also be interested to know for you personally and I guess in terms of your business what does the word success mean to you um I never really think about things in terms of success uh which is probably not what you want to hear on this (laughs) podcast and it's probably not what people normally say um I, I, I've honestly never really been motivated by money or having a lot of money or anything like that. Um, success to me, I suppose, is first of all, being able to survive doing something I enjoy doing, which I suppose I have succeeded at so far, but like not making a lot of money or anything like I'm not I'm not highly paid or anything, but um, money really isn't everything. Um, you know, it's sort of being satisfied with your day to day life is much more valuable than having a really big bank account. Um, so that's quite satisfying. Um, being able to employ people to do things that they love doing, um, that was, to me, one of my biggest um, feelings of achievement, um, I suppose. Uh, we now have, uh, there's four full-time staff and one part-time and a very regular freelancer. So um, to be able to help those people uh you know, pay their mortgages or, you know, feed their kids and and do all of that while being happy at work and not dreading going to work and making podcasts, which is what they like doing. Um that that felt like uh that feels like a like a big achievement. And hopefully able to do more of that if we can, you know if we can grow our business to employing many more people. I mean, as you know yourself, there's so many people out there who really enjoy making podcasts, but it's hard to work in it. It's hard to actually, you know, make your, you know, make your bread <laughs> from it. Yeah. Um. Th- so if we can, if we can create more of that, you know, I'll be, I'll be very, very delighted. And then finally, if I put your ten-year-old self where I'm sitting now, <laughs> <laughs> and you had to give him one piece of advice, knowing everything that you know now and having been through everything that you've been through, what uh. would that be? Um, I would say just try everything. Um, you know, uh, as I was talking about range, read that book range. First of all, that's really, that was really, that was a bit mind blowing to me. It was very, very interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I think what I've learned from that book and if, if the advice is to come from me is what I've done so far, it's don't focus on one thing, do if you're interested in lots of different things, try and give time to all of them. Um, learn from other people, talk to people as much as you can and um, bring knowledge from from one thing you know into something else you know. So if you're struggling with some sort of challenge in your podcast, there might be a lesson. You might, you might just be thinking about um, it in terms of the podcast. What can I do to make the podcast better? But there might be a lesson from what you did on a camogie team as a as a child or from how you handled you know 
two of your friends fighting in school or something like that. There might be something completely irrelevant, seemingly irrelevant to um, your podcast or whatever else you're doing now um, that is yeah is actually really useful. Um, so I think, yeah, and, and just kind of persevere. You know, there's going to be people out there who are telling you it won't work or they might not even like kind of very explicitly tell you what you're doing won't work but there will be a lot of people that when you tell them what you're trying to do they'll look at you and say like oh great you know yeah. good luck I've with that I've definitely had yeah. the kind of oh yeah. nice very, very cool and when you're finished with that little hobby come back to me and you know let's talk about what your career is going to be Yeah, uh, a career can be anything in this in this day and age you know the world has moved so fast that the sort of so called stable jobs of before um, may not be that stable and there's going to be hundreds of different types of jobs and people working in different ways and there's more and more people probably than ever working for themselves um, so if you've gotten a good idea and you think it's going to work then give it a good hard shake don't just you know don't look at people who say that's going to be too hard or you need to fall back or something like that um, I would say kind of give it a good try but also if it's not working or you know, if there is good advice to be taken from somebody, you know, try and be open to that as well. Um, if something isn't really working, then you have to be able to, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt and try new things, uh, which I suppose is what happened with Headstuff. It started as a website and I kind of, no plans for it to be anything else. I thought this is a website and if it's good enough, we'll be able to survive and make the website big and, you know, employ staff. Um, but in reality, that didn't actually work out. The website is still there and I'm still proud of it. It's still really good. And I don't want to, you know, stop it or anything. And hopefully it will get, you know, big enough to wash its face and pay a couple of staff. But um, if we hadn't sort of adapted into making podcasts, then we wouldn't be here now and the website probably wouldn't survive at all. So, um, yeah, you got to be kind of quick on your feet as well. Well, thank you so, so much <laughs> for chatting with me today. No problem. Thanks very much for having me here in your beautiful studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and as always, rate, share and leave a comment if you like what you hear. Any interaction would really help so much as it means I can continue collaborating with incredible guests and creating episodes that hopefully stimulate and motivate you all. I'll be back next week sharing more inspiring stories, but for now, this has been What It's Like With Loose.